You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. You've all sacrificed so much to be here and be a part of this thing we're doing. This crew is made up of couples. It's the first ever large-scale colonization mission. And everyone back on Earth is really grateful for your hard work, and your courage. We're making history here. This is wheat. What are the odds of finding human vegetation this far from Earth? Who planted it? Welcome, everybody, to the 602 Club, coming from the far reaches of space on the Covenant. Uh, we are here to talk about Alien Covenant, and I'm super excited to be here. Uh, we covered a couple of Alien movies this year, just kind of getting ourselves ready. And uh, with me uh, is one of the people who's been with me on this journey for most of it. Brandon Shea Matola. Hi, how's it going? It's great, man. It's good to have you back. Um, so it's funny, this movie, I have to say, honestly, I didn't know what to expect going in. I'm not a fan of Prometheus. Um, I've told the story to many people, but I, I legitimately had a seizure during that movie. <laughs> so uh, it, it did not go well. Um, I did rewatch the movie because I never actually got to finish it, uh, and I still didn't like it. So um, anyway, uh so yeah, I was I was uh, a little trepidatious going into this one for sure. <laughs> See, Prometheus for me, you know, I, I I never liked it. It's always been one of my lesser favorite alien movies. And I did watch it again to go into this one. I watched it the same day. And I did enjoy it more this time. But I think that might have had to do with my excitement. But, you know, I, I had a lot of trouble with Prometheus in that it didn't feel to me like a proper prequel because there's so much in it where it's like, where are they going with this and how can this end up uh how can this end up meeting from prometheus to alien like how are they going to get from point p to yeah, point a absolutely. right and so i was looking forward to this movie quite a bit and uh you know laying my cards out a bit i liked a lot of the things that they in how they laid those stones from the from the movie prometheus to the movie Abs- alien yeah absolutely i'll i'll say that too uh, I'll do that right up front. Uh, before we totally dive into the movie and I guess spoil everything, mm-hmm. uh, you can find us, uh, all the shows that we do here on Trek of M, including the 602 Club, you can find that on iTunes.com slash Trek of M there at Apple Podcasts. Uh, while you're there, be sure to make sure you hit that subscribe button for us uh, in the 602 Club, as well as give us a star rating and review. We've still got that contest going on. It uh, doesn't end till next week, so make sure you get in your reviews. And in fact, uh, we have recently gotten uh, a new review, and I really wanted to just uh, say a quick thank you. Uh, anybody who gives us a review here, uh, a written review on the 602 Club, uh, deserves to get a shout-out because you spent that time going over there and spending a couple minutes writing something uh, clever, usually. That's what most people do. Um and Boogie Down 5000 said, This is a great podcast for geeky movies and shows. The hosts are knowledgeable and their banter both entertains and enlightens. And that we cover a uh, wide variety of topics. So I really appreciate that, Boogie Down 5000. Uh, I feel like that both Brandon and I should turn on some music Absolutely. now and Boogie Down. Uh, hopefully, we don't have to do it to the year 5000. It's a long time. <laughs> Well, you know, back in the you know late '90s, everything was 2000, right? So this yes, is he's just future proofing himself, right? Because I'm, Ex- <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's got a long way to go. Yeah. So thank you so much, though. I really appreciate it. Uh, and they are entered into our contest uh, for some amazing Funko Pop exclusive Guardians of the Galaxy swag I'm excited to give away. So uh, make sure you just get those uh, reviews and ratings in. You still have time. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We have a listeners-only discussion group that's on Facebook. Uh, now, to find that, if you're on Facebook, which so many of us are these days, type Babel in the search field on Facebook, and that'll bring you to the Babel Conference, which is our group. Or if you're on our website at trek.fm, hit discussion on any of the menu bars there, and that'll also bring you to the group. 
And lastly, like I did just today, I got an email about the 602 Club. I got a, a nice email from Alexander Gates just letting me know that uh, the Freemaker Adventures that we talked about talked about on a podcast called The Rebels Podcast. So thank you so much for writing, Alexander, and, and letting me know that. I can check that out, and everybody else can now too. And so to write us an email, just go to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that'll come straight to me and any of the hosts that week. So, Brandon, we mentioned that this is a sequel to the prequel, which is also a prequel to Alien. To the original cool? So, exactly. <laughs> so uh, if that's not confusing, um, that's something that was really interesting here about this whole thing to me uh, is this whole idea because they didn't play that up at all in the marketing. And mainly that's because Prometheus kind of got panned by critics and most fans alike. Now, if you're a fan who liked Prometheus, that's awesome. More power to you. Obviously, I did not. Uh, but I thought it was very interesting going into this movie and then coming out and realizing that this is just legitimately the straight-up prequel because they use so much of what they did in Prometheus to build on top of in this movie. And I do have to say that the parts that they used made Prometheus somewhat more palatable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that because of the, like I was saying there at the beginning, the stones that they laid in this really laid the path between them. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get to it as we go along, but that's what I was looking for with Prometheus and Prometheus didn't quite deliver on it. Uh, what what there was in Prometheus that led to the Alien franchise was just a lot of fan service by showing cool things. Oh look, it's the ship. Oh look, it's the space jockey. Oh look, it's the it's the face hugger, but not really the face hugger when it was that little worm and whatnot. So I really like how they explained in this movie how they went from this alien plague that was created to creating these eggs and these face huggers, and which would lead to alien and i thought it was really really well done well and and that's something that's fantastic to me is that the way in which they bridge that is through the synthetics which has always been a character that's just been a part of the alien series and has never played an amazing huge role you know i mean but this movie makes them pivotal to the entire series. And I thought it was really interesting because the, the, the beginning of the movie is Mr. Wayland, who we saw a brief glimpse of in Prometheus, with David, his very first, like, oh, I, I, I would venture to call David sentient mm -hmm. as a being. Like, he's, is, he's his sentient as data is basically after his emotion chip. Right. Like he has free will. He he can think, he can create, he can act on his own. And so he and his counterpart that's on the covenant, Walter, really are kind of the linchpin for this. And I found that to be really fascinating to make those characters who have kind of They've been in the background. They've had a part of the films, obviously, but to really make them the key pivotal, like things that hold this all together, I thought was pretty fascinating. I know, and the fact that it's it's Fassbender playing against Fassbender, you know, he's doing two different accents. I don't know what his original accent is. I'm not that familiar with his work. I think I think the only other Fassbender film I saw, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but he he was in a prison and he was on he was either on a hunger strike or he was. He was in a isolation cell for a really long time. I think it was just called Hunger or something like that was the name of the film. And like that's the only other thing I'm, I think I've seen him in. So do you know what his original accent is? I think it's the British uh, one. but I, I think so too. Um, you know, he was also Magneto in the newer X-Men Yeah, and I haven't seen that. So, okay. So, I mean, he he's definitely somebody who's turned into just an incredible actor. Mm -hmm. And, like, him playing against himself, like you said, was just phenomenal. Uh, but, it, so, the setup is, is that Covenant is on a trip to a planet uh, that they've been searching for for 10 years. And they've been searching for the right place to basically start a colony. And... They all come out of hypersleep, 
because of an accident that happens with the ship. Which I think is great because we haven't seen that before, you know? Like, they're always in hypersleep and they come out of hypersleep because the company wakes them up, you know? And in this one, they're woken up by an accident, you know? And I think that's an interesting take right off the bat. We're given something different, familiar yet different. And I really, really like that. Well, no, and I absolutely agree with you because you don't want to just keep doing the same thing. And they hear a transmission as they're fixing the ship. Uh, they have these huge solar sails that go out every so often uh, to repower the ship. And uh, a storm hits them, mm-hmm. uh, a space storm. I can't remember what they called it. It was like a magnetic storm or something like that. And just insert Star Trek techno babble here, and that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one of their sails gets messed up and they're out there and one of the guy's helmets picks up this transmission and it turns out to be a song. And they recognize the song and so they go to the source of it, which is a planet that looks like it's going to be perfect mm-hmm. for them. And so the the new captain, because he's the the, the original captain has died uh, in the accident, a bunch of the pods don't make it. It's also a colony ship full of 2,000 other people and embryos. So there's a lot of people at stake here. And they travel to this planet, and what they find there is the sequel to the prequel of Prometheus. Uh, and it turns out that this was the engineer's planet that we met in Prometheus, and David has destroyed them with the black ooze from Prometheus and then spent the rest of his years there engineering what we know as the xenomorphs. Which is which is a really fascinating and I think extremely satisfying way to bridge the franchises i mean at the end of prometheus we see uh shaw and david going off they're trying to find the engineer's planet and that's how it's left right and we don't really see now they they were releasing a bunch of like in between little trailers not quite trailers but like five minute clips of what happened in between the movies and stuff and i didn't watch all of them the only one i watched was kind of a Basically, a remake of the dinner scene from the first Alien movie was the only one that I saw. But you're kind of left with a whole blank period that we don't really know anything about. And we, we get that revealed slowly through story. First, he lies about it. But as he's lying about it, he's showing what's really happening, right? Which is another, which is a neat way to tell the story, I think. But uh, it's it's pretty fascinating that this this android is this upset with his maker and this upset with humanity that he goes through this trouble in order to create this plague that's going to, you know, make these aliens that are going to so attack that's people. So a, that's a question, uh, I, and I didn't pick up that in the movie. So explain to me, you think that David is upset with basically Wayland and humanity, and that's why he's created the Xenomorphs. Because what I picked up was just that he thought that the creation w- that he made was perfect and were better than humanity. So it wasn't really an anger issue. It was more like he enjoyed playing God, basically. Well, if you go back to that first scene, I've only seen the movie once, so I don't remember exactly what was said. Same right? But there was that opening scene when David is basically awoken for the first time, and he's having that back and forth with Guy Pierce. Now, Guy Pierce is even... Now, this is one interesting thing that I thought about Prometheus as well, is why did they get Guy Pierce? to have all this old age makeup on because we never see him young. And usually in movies when they make up somebody with old age makeup, you see them young at some point. That way they use the same. And they didn't do that in Prometheus. But here we're seeing Guy Pierce young. And there's that interesting back and forth right at the beginning when he wants him to give him that tea and play that music and how he's telling him his music is playing isn't that good. And Guy Pierce is giving him that weird look, you know, and I almost felt like a, he was disappointed in David, and I could feel that David felt that disappointment. Like, that's how I read that scene right at the beginning, um, when he's giving him that tea and stuff. And I don't know. So that's how that's how I interpreted the opening scene myself. And that, I think that creates a, a great question we can dive into, this, uh, the creator versus creation. And 
Wayland has created David in the synthetics to help him on his quest. And his quest is this. He does not believe that human beings can be nothing but a random chance accident. Uh, he does not believe that humanity is is the, you know, product of some big bang. And he wants to answer the age-old question, where do we come from? Who am I? What is our purpose? Why are we here? Those are all the questions that he's looking to answer, mainly because he just can't believe that we're nothing but, you know, uh, a dice roll. And so he creates this being who that will be able to outlive him to be able to carry on his mission. Um, and I thought that was so interesting because he gives David free will uh, just as, as he has, as Wayland has. And then David rebels against his creator's wishes, and it feels like he looks to create something of his own that he believes is more perfect than what he was meant to mm -hmm. serve. And it creates this very pseudo-spiritual creator versus creation, free will versus determinism, all this kind of stuff wrapped into this relationship between these two. And it's so interesting because the Wayland Company, right, controls all of this mm -hmm. stuff. Like, it's the basis for all of this and all the problems we end up with, too. And what's also interesting becomes, I think, it's Wayland's playing God that leads to his creation playing God and leading to maybe human extermination. Like, we, again playing a role that maybe we aren't meant to play, creating something we maybe shouldn't create, could lead to that creation destroying us. Same thing you see, uh, you know, in Terminator, uh, that, that kind of idea. So I just, there's so much happening in this relationship between Leyland and David uh, you know, I, I see what you're saying at the beginning, how you could read it like that, and, and that kind of leads David to want to then either destroy his creator and byproduct of humans, or uh, to just just want to create something that maybe his maker would be proud of, like because of the perfection of what he's created. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, it, it's really interesting. Yeah. You know, my wife, when we came out of this movie, you know, my wife doesn't really like watching these kinds of movies, but we, you know, she, she doesn't really mind the aliens that much. She didn't really enjoy this one that much. And she's like, she thinks that the movie devalues human life, the way that people die in the movie and stuff like this. And I'm like, well, I don't know that I think it's just a movie and it's just meant for entertainment. But the more that I think about it, and the more that I talk about it, I think there is this message you know, and I don't know, maybe I'm seeing it through a specific lens, but it is like, you know, Wayland is God creating this life form of David, giving him free will, right? You know, giving him the choice to worship him or not, basically, right? He gives him this free will and, you know, he ends up falling away from him, right? Because of his, what he, what he perceives as disappointment, which people have all the time like people suffer from this ability to project onto other people what they think they're thinking you know i you know mm -hmm, they yeah. you can sit it's like with your typing on facebook somebody could type something because you misread something you think they meant this whole other thing right so it it leads to this being offended and upset and i don't know if i'm going off on a weird tangent here or not but then here we are with people who give them free will and we're we're destroying what's been given to us if if you believe in faith and you believe in god right yeah because we think Th we can do that's better. very interesting too you know you're absolutely right because um in the end Waylon seems to be somebody who is willing to believe in something mm -hmm. bigger right um and another character in the movie is the same way he's somebody of faith who feels put down upon and looked down upon because he is somebody right. of faith. Um, and what's so interesting about the, the movie of creator versus creation, 
Walter and and David have a conversation, and Walter doesn't have free will, right. so it's a reverse, um, in in the sense that in the in in the Christian understanding of creation, uh, angels were created first, and uh, they were given free will. Satan rebels, falls. Uh, God takes away their free will. He is God. He's created his angels to do his bidding. And he's done the same thing. You know, they rebelled, so he pulls that back. And doesn't give them free will anymore. Uh, So, yeah, there is this very interesting creation story that's at the heart of all of this. And part of it is based around somebody who's not a god, Wayland, asking the biggest question there is, why are we here? And where did we come from? And trying to figure that out. Uh, and it leads to the mess that we get in all the rest of the right, alien right. movies. Like, he's he's responsible for the right. mess. So one one tangent I don't want to forget about here, that because seeing this movie and, like, thinking of this kind of makes me think that Charlize Theron's character in Prometheus may have also been an android. You know, like, cause she she was in hypersleep, but, I mean, the other androids in the other Alien franchises were in hypersleep as well. And, you know, when she dies, she gets crushed by that rolling spaceship, so we don't really see anything out of her and whatnot. And she's also this daughter to Wayland. Like, he, she calls him father. She calls him dad in it, right? And he almost seems disappointed in her as well in Prometheus. I know that we're talking about Prometheus a a bit here, but I don't know. That's something that I was strongly thinking of after thinking of this movie as well. But I I could be wrong. I could be picking up something that's not there. I I mean, wonder if that might be a thread that, I mean, Scott definitely wants to make more of these. So if he would pick Mm -hmm. that up at all, you know, that there were maybe more of them. Uh, So, no, that's a, it's a really, I mean, that's a good question uh, that, might be picked up in a in a later film. Um, I, to me, th- this whole question and and uh, I I I could almost feel Ridley Scott asking these major questions himself. You know, like why are we here? Are are we just you know a dice roll, or is there something more? You know, and um, I I think it. it to me, it created a, a really interesting conundrum because it became that kind of Jurassic Park thing of just because we can do a thing doesn't necessarily mean we should do a thing. And maybe we're so preoccupied with if we can, we don't ask if we should. Mm-hmm. And Wayland seems so focused on his question and his search that he doesn't necessarily seem to ask if this is maybe the best thing to do to create something that may or not be able to lead to our destruction, especially since it's stronger, faster, and in some ways has the ability to be smarter. But it's also completely amoral. That was the other thing. Like, he, David has no morality. Mm-hmm. And that was the other thing that I noticed is that that doesn't seem to be something that Wayland instituted in his creation. It was any kind of moral structure. And therefore, for David, he has no qualms about killing all of humankind if he thinks that something is more perfect or better. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, there, there's, no, there's no connection to anything beyond himself. Which is also another dangerous place to be. See, I didn't quite understand the the one in this movie. I didn't quite understand David's motivation for dropping the plague on the engineers. I didn't quite understand that motivation in this movie. So I don't know if you can explain that to me. I maybe it's just a way that they had to advance the plot, but I didn't quite get what what his motivation was for doing that. That is a great question, um, and maybe it's that. So remember in Prometheus, the engineer seems to be the white Jesus who comes to mm-hmm. Earth to seed life. Maybe it was David's ultimate revenge against Wayland of destroying what he was looking for. Okay. 
That that's the only thing. I, I mean, that's just me thinking about it a okay, little bit. Okay, because they created and, and that's humanity. That's what I come up and, with. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It, it, well, because we are at least we're led to believe that the engineers are responsible for humankind. Right. Right. Because they're the, so, in Prometheus, their DNA matches ours. Right. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that by destroying them and then creating something to which David thinks is more perfect and better, but also that he can control, uh, he sets himself up as mm-hmm. the God. Right. So maybe if we all just stop playing God, synthetics and humans alike, and we just let God be God, maybe we'd be better. I don't know. Maybe that's the message of the movie. <laughs> Good playing God. See, I, the, one of the things that I, I fall back on this and, and makes me happy is I don't think that we will ever get synthetic life forms that'll be this realistic. I don't think we could ever get there. I think that there's the, the androids and stuff that we see in Data, in Lore, in David, in, in uh, Walter, in um, the Doctor from Alien, you know, like the which name I can't remember right now, and bishop and whatnot i don't think we're ever gonna get synthetic life form that realistic myself uh i don't either uh i don't i don't think it's possible for us to make what what science fiction terms a right, right. life form that's also artificial but that's just my personal belief so uh, who knows we could be totally wrong no i i, I mean uh, goodness this is this this is one of the things that made me really enjoy this movie was this deep philosophical question. And that's one of the things that I was reading up a a little bit about Ridley Scott talking about what he wanted to do. He wanted to take some of the action thrills from the other alien films and meld that with the philosophy from Prometheus and, and create what he does in Alien Covenant. And honestly, I think it works really well because... It creates something more than the monster sci-fi movie, which I would say, for the most part, the other alien movies are. And this one has something to talk about. Like, it has something to make you think beyond just the spectacle of what's happening. So I think, in a lot of ways, to me, uh, this movie is superior to the other alien movies just in that that Mm -hmm. respect. Yeah, I I think it's a good movie, but I don't think I could ever say that this is the best alien movie. <laughs> no, and uh, nobody should have to say you know uh, that you know I I think that's that's um personal those, that's where personal preference and taste you know for any everybody comes in, and and so I I completely agree with you. There was some aspects in this though that were really you know like you say it's something above just a horror movie but there's a couple of scenes in it that this is just a horror movie too like the shower scene and stuff like you know we we I've already talked about this with the with stage 9 and that's like that's like ripped from you know some discarded scene from Friday the 13th or something like that you know and it was super creepy <laughs> I'm not going to lie I thought I mean, it was so that cheesy was just like your worst nightmare um you know which haven't they ever watched a horror movie? Never get naked in a horror yes. movie ever. You're gonna be the ones who die, yes. and they definitely die. So, yeah, I don't know. That's like that scene didn't work for me either. Like it just it just seemed cheesy and and yeah. I only think it works in the sense that of the impact that it has on Danny and Tennessee mm-hmm. when they see what that alien is capable of like that i think it just it's the impact on her face you know i mean that complete horror that she has of what she's looking at i think that's the only thing that really makes it work otherwise it it's very a cliched horror movie thing just don't get naked um (laughs) wanted to talk to you about because obviously we have some really good characters i think in the movie and i think they kind of bring I've heard this movie said that it doesn't have any heart, but I don't think that's true. And part of that is because I really enjoyed the characters in the movie. Uh, and and first and foremost was Michael Fassbender playing David and Walter. I thought the portrayal of both of them was fantastic. And for a synthetic, Walter has a really good heart. Mm. And I really liked the interplay between them. And almost... Um, the the kind of worldview clash of somebody who thinks they're a god and then somebody who 
realizes who they are in the chain and that they're they're not above other people. Right. Like Fassbender is just outstanding as an actor in general and the fact that he can carry off these two roles like flawlessly and you know some of this like whatever they did for special effects like the split screen and stuff like this is just outstanding like that scene when they were like when the one of them was like putting his fingers on the flute and stuff like it was amazing and I, I mean I know that they say that he doesn't have free will in this but you know to me that's like saying data doesn't have emotions like yes he does right and I mean like you could say that he wasn't programmed with it so maybe it's something that developed in this character but to me I sense that while they may not have created Walter that way, he's grown into it, right? I don't know. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, and they, you know, David and Walter have the whole discussion about whether he has feelings for Danny. Right, right, right. And and uh, he says that he's just doing his duty. Right. Um, which, what I thought was really interesting is that, you know, love isn't a feeling. Love is a choice. And part of that choice is having honor and respect and serving them out of a sense of chosen duty to that person, mm -hmm. right? And he has all of those things. So, I mean, is it all that different from saying that he loves her? You know, it, it creates all those great questions. And I think Fazbender just does such a great job of playing it. And he's very subtle and nuanced in his his work with both of the characters that um, I was totally sold and really enjoyed watching him the whole mm -hmm. time. And the surprise, obviously, at the end, he was so good at playing the role right as David and Walter that he had me sold and, and I was fooled. I, I got to admit, I was totally really? fooled yeah, at the end. I know. I just, I, and I know I should have <laughs> seen it coming when I look back on it. Obviously, should have seen it coming. But I give it to Fazbender playing the role so perfectly that I didn't... I mean, maybe if I watch it again, I'll see the distinction. You know, maybe there's a little David bleeding through in his Walter. But, it, again, his performance sold me. And, I I mean, I, I was a sucker. I was see, I, I, are we, we going to say what that spoiler is? Oh, okay. yeah. We're spoiling this okay. rotten. If you haven't seen the movie by this okay. point. So... For me, the, I actually take it the exact opposite. His portrayal and him being so good at it tipped the hand that it was David pretending to be Walter. And I didn't have that doubt in my mind, but that was okay because then the way that he, I don't know, like it's, I, I wasn't surprised that it was David, but I was surprised by some of David's choices. Like in the end when he, just puts her like when he saves their lives and helps them to destroy this alien. I was surprised by that choice. Right. And he puts them into cryo sleep and doesn't kill them. Like I'm guessing he didn't kill them. He's not going to just put them in a cryo sleep to kill them later on. Right. So if we see a sequel to this, right. And it's not 10 years later, we're going to see Danny. She's going to wake up and there will be David there, you know? So, so like some of the choices that the character that they wrote for the character were surprising, but there was a, enough in it, the way that he was playing it, that I could see it was David pretending to be Walter. And that was a masterpiece of his acting that he was playing somebody playing somebody. Yeah. And I, I just, I didn't mm -hmm. see that. I'm sure that I probably will because I know what to look mm -hmm. for next time. And I just, I was kind of engrossed in, everything else and I I dismiss it and I'll I'll freely admit that. I'm okay with that though, that the movie got mm -hmm. me. I mean, isn't that kind of what they're yes, hoping for sure. yeah, really yeah. is that the movie will get you? Um and honestly I should have seen it that you know they don't show the killing blow right. of Walter against David and so they cut away before that and that should have been my immediate like, oh well, he's gonna switch places. See, but, but that's the thing, they didn't have to do that because there's so such fast action going on during the fight that there's times when you don't really know who's who during the fight. So they could have shown a killing blow, right? And I understand that, yeah, they're wearing different outfits and stuff, but that's part of him having his haircut and everything like that, right? That they could have shown the killing blow and then have him run off, and then you'd still not be knowing who it was. Right. Well, in the moment that he cut his hair, I did also realize, okay, he's <laughs> going to try and replace Walter. 
at some point right. that's going to happen. Uh, and so like, I realized that it was just at the very end. And, I, you know, just spoiling the end of the movie, uh, I, I think he's saved them all because they're just more incubators for... Yeah, but two more? He's got 2,000. Well, I uh, exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, also, we don't know enough about his relationship with the actual xenomorphs that he's created because these this is the first one who's ever been alive. He hasn't had a chance to create another. But it, one. like the one that did create, like stood and saluted him, you know, basically. Well, no, that was a that was a white. No, one. the one, the face hugger. One more. Like, yeah. So there was the there was the white one that was in that room. Oh, you're right. You're right. So that was standing you're right, there and he was right. talking to. Him. And then there was yeah. the. Um, I just, I, I mean, I wonder if David was just trying to see what its capabilities mm-hmm. were. Could be, yeah. So that's that's another thing that I didn't understand the character's motivation. So there are a couple little things, like a couple weak plots, plot points in it for me. But yeah, I think I would I would say on that question, David is seeing what his creation can do, and what better way than to put it up against a few humans to see what it can take? Uh, and who knows? Um, you know, he's got how many more years to fly to. Olagala mm-hmm. eight or whatever it's called, um, to you know do some more genetic tampering if he wants. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, I liked also uh, Catherine Watterson as Daniels or Danny. Um, I I really thought that she was an excellent choice. Uh, I obviously have seen her most recently in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and what I really thought was good about the motivation for her character and just making me feel for her was that they kill her beloved mm. her her husband right up front like that that's part of being hit by the iron storm and the magnetic storm or whatever they get hit by is his pod uh, basically immolates him uh and i just thought that was a great way to make me connect with that character immediately and to be able to feel for her as we move forward. Right. I like that a lot too. And the fact that her husband was James Franco. <laughs> like you know. Yeah, I know. So and they they so the only time we and see him in, in this movie scene. is like in a in a video, like a selfie video or something. But I mean like Yeah, on an, <laughs> on an iPad, iPad basically. And he, but he's in I was talking earlier about those kind of five minute prequels or whatever that they'd made to release up to the movie. And the one where they were basically having the dinner which was a, basically a remake of the alien dinner. He's in that. So, you know, it's, I don't know, that could have just been in the movie. That five minute thing could have just been the start of the movie, but they took it out and then they completely cut James Franco from the film. It's, well, I think that's fascinating. And that was really interesting because that whole scene that was in the trailer about her saying, you know, this ship is made up of couples. Mm-hmm. It, uh, none of that's in the actual movie. And you just get that feeling from everybody waking up and that this is a colony ship meant to go start a mm-hmm. new life. Um, but, I mean, just the whole thing, uh, her story about, you know, him wanting to build a log cabin with actual nails and boards and wood. And, you know, she doesn't know anything about that crap. You know, like she's it, I just thought it was. It was very moving. And, and I, she did a great job of kind of being a Ripley-esque character without just being a replay of Ripley. I felt like she was, um, especially when you get Ripley in Aliens, I don't know, she just felt even more vulnerable. And I I just, I really enjoyed the character. So I I thought it was, I don't know, I, I just really enjoyed it. Yeah. See, the characters for me were kind of the weak spot in the movie. You know, same with Prometheus in that there weren't too many that stood out. And, you know, I was talking with with John on stage nine there, and he said it best. Like, Tennessee, other than Walter and David, the only one who really remembers Tennessee, and that's because he had the gimmick of the hat, you know. Well, and I don't agree with that because I liked Billy Crudup as um, Orem, who becomes the captain. And his whole thought process of why he wants to go to this Mm -hmm. planet is because you can see that he's worried that this will happen again, that this accident might happen again, and they have, what, seven or eight years of of sleep uh, to get to this planet. 
And so he sees what may be a gift in front of him, and he is a person of faith, and so he sees that this could be, uh, you know, uh, a gift of God, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, he just doesn't realize, obviously, that it's not. It's a it's a call from right, the devil, right. and he just doesn't know it. Um, and I, I, to me, the struggle of, and I wish they had played it out more, like it had more to do with the storyline of him being somebody who feels uh marginalized by society because he has faith um it just didn't play out enough but i liked the bits and pieces of it and i thought you know him losing his wife at the pretty much the beginning of the movie as well because of what happens on the planet when they land it's there one of the best scenes in the film <laughs> it's it's so good it's so impactful um you know and and all of that together i just thought I thought he played it really well because he's a little shell-shocked for a while before he kind of comes back to helping be a leader with Danny. Um, and then the only thing I'll say is is that the characters seem to be a little dumb in the movie. Like a little too trusting. Same with Prometheus. But like Prometheus suffers from that as well. You know, and it's... It- I think all the Alien movies kind of... Because if we thought we talked about aliens, all the people in the corporate sector, you know, the the, the Wayland Corporation are so dumb. But that's different because that's that's playing the greedy corporation. I think, like, especially right. But that doesn't make them any less dumb. Yeah, but it's it's different than our heroes, right? And in the first Alien movie, like those are all really intelligent people, right? In the very first Alien movie, like they're all very smart. Nobody yeah. does anything stupid in that movie. I don't think. And part of it made me wonder if, and this is something that would have been helpful, I think, in the film to answer that question. Is this the first really major expedition like this? You know, if it's kind of like Star Trek Enterprise versus Star Trek Voyager. You know, you have all that time, all of that experience. Enterprise is the first ship that goes out there, right? So they're going to make a lot of mistakes that, if you've watched all of Star Trek, might seem dumb, but when you put it in perspective, it's like not. Like taking your dog down so that's to a planet kinda, and having him pee on a tree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that's that's what I kind of pictured this being. Like, if this is the, the only, the, maybe the second major operation, they don't know what happened to the last one on the Prometheus, mm-hmm. then this is all new to all of these people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whether or not you trust David uh, is really the big question. And, th- and that's what they they over trust David. And that's where the real stupidity comes in. It's like that they don't have any. It's too late by the time they realize they've made a mistake. Uh, and especially that whole point when David was talking to Oram about, you know, well, let me show you all this stuff. It's like, dude, bring somebody with you. You know, like, yeah, it's and again, with that scene where he where he takes him down there, like you can see how upset that David was after Orem killed that one solid white xenomorph. Yeah, like a albino xenomorph. Yeah, the, and he's like, he basically like screams like, what are you doing? And and then immediately takes him down there. And it's like, I don't know if you can't see that something bad's going to happen, then. Then yeah, like, you probably don't deserve yeah. to live, and he doesn't. So, so. It, it's it, he. It just seemed like he had the motivation of, you know, what you get in horror movies, which is like I'm going to explain my motivation before I kill you, you know. And you get that from a lot of bad. Oh, guys absolutely. Like, He's monologuing. Yeah. You caught me monologuing. So. Um, no, abs- a- absolutely. And so, uh, you know, I really, I, I mean, I liked Tennessee. I liked Danny McBride's Tennessee. Because he had just that slight amount of, of Danny McBride-ness to him. But he also just came off as kind of almost like a Chief O'Brien from Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. character. Like, he's just down to earth, you know, he he's, he's going to follow the regulations when he has to, but he's not afraid to break them if he has to as well to save, you know, his, his, the people. Um, and I just, I really enjoyed his character throughout the film. I thought he made mostly good he was one of the smarter characters in the movie honestly he he made mostly great decisions throughout the film 
uh, and used all the resources, you know, at his fingertips to make that happen. Um, and I also really enjoyed the relationship he had with Danny and, and the way they worked together. I thought that was really good. Um, so it made me happy that they both survived. Uh, as to whether they'll survive into the next film, who knows? But I thought he was. I enjoyed watching his character too. So I and I connected with him in his kind of like, you know, southernness. And so I just, yeah, it. I, he was good to me. Yeah, I didn't mind his character. Yeah, I didn't get the. I didn't get the connection of the deep love with him and his wife, other than the fact that they kept hitting it on the head of, you know, hitting the nail on the head, and they're like, "I love my wife, I love my wife, I love my wife," and I don't know, like, because with with uh, with Danny's character, you know, we we got the death of him right at the beginning, and she watched him die, and we saw that scene, and we didn't really see a lot of scenes between Tennessee and his wife in the movie, right? There's not much with them together, right? So we didn't get that relationship building in the movie. And it's right. they're just playing on the fact that this is his wife. So, of course, they love each other. And, of course, he's going to do everything he can to save her because it's his wife. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the thing I think that they do in the movie, they kind of shortcut a little bit, is uh, they give them some fun dialogue back and forth, especially over the comms. Yeah, like the, the tits dialogue. Uh, and, like. yeah, I mean... Um, so all that stuff, it gives you that that sense that they're the fun couple that, you know, they really love each other, but they're also sarcastic and all that stuff. So they 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 play with some narrative shortcuts in that. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that maybe that's one of the ways that would have helped the film if they had added back in that whole scene about maybe them starting mm-hmm. off the journey. So the movie's a little the movie's only two hours. So making it a little bit longer and adding some of those emotional scenes at the beginning where they're first getting into hypersleep and stuff, they're, you know, having that party around the table and everything so that it helps you connect with them, I think could have been helpful. But it seemed to me that Ridley just really trimmed the movie down uh, to make it what it is. And, you know, there are sometimes a movie is just better if it's longer. Uh, if they add in the right, right. scenes, you know, uh, I, I absolutely think Batman v Superman is a much better movie in the Ultimate Edition that's three hours long than it is the two hour and 30 minutes because that extra time really adds to the storylines and what you understand. So I think this may be a place where that could have Flushes happened. it out quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So if maybe yeah. we'll get a director's cut, I don't know, maybe not, but. Well, you know, these days people love doing that stuff. <laughs> so uh, and so do studios because they get to make more money. Um I do have to say one of the things that really stood out to me, even just in the theater, I've only seen it once, the soundtrack, the music, uh, it's beautiful. And it reminds me of the old school scores. There's wonderful melody, melodic themes in here. uh, And it's scary when it needs to be. But the way it incorporated the beauty and the grandeur of the music, uh, you know, super imposed with maybe the starkness of a scene or the grandeur of the the storm on the planet or you know this it just the music was perfect and it reminded me of the the great like goldsmith scores from the past um just yeah and, and it also kind of reminded me a little bit of of some of what michael giacchino does these days which is that he'll play sweet music against a really climactic scene so you have that juxtaposition i just i i really loved it it's great work yeah it's it's an interesting score because he does hit the nail on the head pretty hard with both the goldsmith music from alien and the uh the mark streitenfeld music from prometheus you know like there's a lot of both of those scores in this score so he's not so he's trying to bridge it but i think he bridges it a little too hard in it the music is good because both of those scores are pretty good right uh what like the jerry goldsmith one is a masterpiece but uh you know the 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 music for prometheus is really good to the point where that when he's playing that flute like that's the music from prometheus you know which is odd that it's i don't know it just feels weird to have somebody playing a this movie score in the movie. I don't know. It just seems a little odd, but, uh, but you know, the guy that composed this is Jed Kurzel, and I'm not very familiar with his work. Um, so I'm, I'm, 
No, I've never, I don't know if I've ever heard anything that he's done. Honestly, I was just, I, I think one of the things that I was impressed with was the fact that it felt like the kind of score that we just haven't had in a long mm-hmm. time. And um, I I miss scores that have melodic melodies to them and things that kind of stick in your brain a little bit. And I feel like this does a good mm-hmm. job of doing that in places. Uh, and it makes me want to, you know, I sat down today, I was at, you know, at work and turn on some music and it's that score and it's great to have in the background. You know, I enjoy listening to it beyond the film. Um, and to me that that's a, that's a hallmark of a good score that it makes me want to listen to it. Even if I'm, you know, haven't watched the movie recently. Mm -hmm. So, um, for, for me, it just, it worked and I'm, I wish, I wish we could get away from this whole thing in film these days, film score, which is just having atmospheric music. It's boring. Um, and it works sometimes, but most of the time film works better with thematic elements. So the fact that there were thematic elements you could actually grab onto in this score, I thought was great. So. Yeah, it's good music, uh, and I, I look forward to seeing what else this guy can do later on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, me too, absolutely. Uh, and I just on top of that, too, this movie's absolutely 100% gorgeous. The effects, the sets, every single thing in this film, I think, in that sense, is flawless. I have not seen a space movie look this good since Sunshine. Have you seen Sunshine? I have not seen Sunshine. Sunshine yet, so. is so beautiful in a very different way than this is. But there was so many times when I was watching Sunshine and I'm just like, wow, that looks good. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. And this movie had a lot of those as well. Like there's some great overhead shots of the ship and the storm on the planet underneath it is just beautiful. Like just some of the space shots were just absolutely stunning. Yeah, no, I I felt exactly the same way as I was watching the movie. It just being kind of blown away with what you see. Uh, And and even just, um, I think one of the things that really got to me in this was the, the look of the ship. You know, you, I know it's probably CGI, but in some places it almost felt like a model. Mm -hmm. Like in the way in which um, Interstellar, where he actually uses models, Christopher Nolan, uh, and they do it so well that you it just feels so real. And so, uh, yeah, absolutely love the look and the feel of this film. I think it's it's just an incredibly well crafted film on all of those levels, and that's probably one of the things that made me enjoy this movie so much. Like, it was never taken out of it because something didn't look right. And I think that, you know, when you're telling this kind of story, you definitely don't want that. So, uh, yeah, wow, good stuff. Um, big question for you, Bichet. Uh, What are you going to rate Alien Covenant? It's it's a good movie. I would definitely recommend to go see it. I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun watching it. There was a lot of good callbacks without it being too much of a callback. There's you know, there's some things we haven't even talked about. Like some of the it was a little bit gorier than like Alien is like Alien, they just have the one gory scene when the chest burster scene happens about halfway through the movie. But this one had a few more of them and they went for a little bit more over the top and a little bit more shocking, like when you know, with the fire scene in the middle of the movie and whatnot. But I think that's what made or it different. When the thing comes out of his yeah, back, yeah, his back just, was different. Oh, that's it, the way yeah. that it like. I, one thing we didn't mention that I wanted to talk about was how quickly these aliens seem to be born as the sequels come along. Like in the first movie, I don't know. I get the impression that from the time that uh, I can't even remember his name now. That I'm so bad with people's names. Not not Harry Dean Stanton, but the other guy. Bill Paxton. No, the, in the first Alien movie, the guy that, the, the, with the chestburster in it, um, 
Anyways, everybody's screaming at their it. iPads. I mean, you got me. Yeah, but it's fine. the first it's that dude, that dude okay? who you did that thing. We're talking about. So yeah, he was in 1984. And like, anyways, like that. I got the impression that that was like a day, right? And as the movies go along, like, like David's sitting there with the chestburster scene, and that's like 15 minutes has gone by, and you know, for them to rush down the mountain and then it's bursting out of his back, that's like an hour. You know, like it's, it seems to be happening a lot quicker as they go along, which is odd. And I don't know, like it kind of happened in Aliens as well. And I don't know. Anyways, but uh, I, I love the movie. I think it's great. I think you should go see it. My rating is it's better than Prometheus, but it's not as good as Alien. Yeah, I can get that. <laughs> I, can, I can understand why you'd say that. Uh, for me, the thematic elements in this film, I really enjoyed. And I, I thought that it was fantastic to be able to see just the spectacular nature of this film like it just like as we talked about it looks so good and i was just drawn into it i was also drawn into the philosophical elements of the film and that's that's who i am that's i enjoy that stuff but at the same time it wasn't just that i i enjoyed the characters um they weren't i mean the most amazing characters ever that's don't don't get me wrong and and we talked about they did some dumb stuff uh, and maybe some exposition would have really helped to alleviate some of that, you know, just a, a little bit more, exp- as we talked about, maybe this is like only the second major mission like this. So, I mean, nobody's really, you know, all that stuff, but all, all in all, I, the only thing that can really ding this movie is that it's, it doesn't stand alone. If you haven't seen Prometheus, you're kind of at a disadvantage. Uh, I think because they use so much of Prometheus and what happens there, they give you almost enough, but I don't think they give you enough to fully be okay if you haven't seen Prometheus. I don't know if I'd agree with that. I think that this would stand alone on its own pretty well because they they give the story of what happened to the Prometheus. It disappeared, right? Um, you don't really need to know... I don't think you really need to know that the engineers are are thought to have created humanity. And as to what happened to the engineers and who are all these dead people, like David lies or about his flashback, but we see what happened. Right. But as we talked about and you mentioned, you get more out of it. It's kind of confusing. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is, as I don't think you get enough out, I think, the motivations for the characters, especially David, are so muddied if you don't see Prometheus. Mm-hmm. I don't really think that this truly stands alone enough by itself. Okay. Um, and so that's the biggest ding I could give to it. Um, but all in all, I, I I would rewatch this alien movie over any of the alien movies. And uh, and part of that's just I'm not a huge uh, alien movie fan, but I really enjoyed this one, and I... I I would definitely see this one again, and therefore I'm I'm gonna say this is four out of five, uh, and part of that has to do with that. It is an absolutely fantastic looking film, especially in the big screen. Yeah. And I saw it in Dolby Atmos, so it and it sounded gorgeous too. So I highly encourage you. This is the kind of movie that I think works well best on the big screen because of the the big sound, the big scares. Uh, and that kind of stuff. Um, the only thing that I would say at the end, honestly, Ridley Scott, you don't need to make any more alien movies. Yes, he does. No, no. <laughs> he's filled He's he's filled in the gap enough that you don't need to tell any more of the story. The rest can be a mystery. Yeah, I agree. He They, they really laid down a nice, broad trail going from Prometheus to yeah. Alien here that you don't really need to see anything Absolutely. else. I just want to see one because I love him. <laughs> Right. And and I just I feel like the, the, the thing that happens uh, and I actually stopped reading a book series by a certain author uh, because the law of diminishing returns, the stories just kept being too much the same. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem you run into with the alien films. Mm-hmm. They just start to be too similar. Mm-hmm. And I think this one distinguished itself enough. Uh, but if you make more. Wow, that gets really hard to do. Yeah, as you as the sequels go along, they usually don't do too well. Although I will say, Children of the Corn four and Children of the Corn six are very good. 
<laughs> hey, Star Trek Six is my favorite. But um, thank you for everyone for for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation that we had today. Um, again, catch up with us all of those places on social media and and whatnot, from Twitter to Facebook to Babel Conference, all of those places. And of course, uh, giving us a star rating review over there on iTunes while you're hitting that subscribe button. So. Uh, Want to say a huge thank you to Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. Uh, their support through Patreon has meant the world to me uh, for the 602 Club, but not just for the 602 Club, for the whole entire network. Uh, it is a massive enterprise, this network called Trek FM. There's so much going on, there's so many shows. There's absolutely no way that we can afford to do this all by ourselves. It's, a, it's really expensive. So, Go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and just see how you can become part of the team. Every little bit really does help. And so uh, we've got great perks for you, whether it's exclusive content or producer credit. You can also get into the Patreon's roundtable at a certain level amount. We've got early access to content that Brandon is so good at about making sure we get out. So many things. Uh, again, really, in the end, every little bit helps. Every little bit that you can do. So... That's patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, Brandon, uh, before we uh, let you get out of here, make sure everybody's aware of everything that you're doing and where they can hit you up on some social media if they want to yell at you for not knowing somebody's name. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Metella, and every once in a while I stick my head up in the Babel Conference. Um, on the Trek FM Twitter page, I'm doing our hashtag Star Trek Ultimate Tournament where we're having fun comparing or some episodes, and we'll have some kind of obvious ones. Like today we had, uh, what's better, Mud's Women or Mirror Mirror? And I think that's kind of an obvious one. But uh, some days they're pretty close calls. Like yesterday we had, what's better, Miri or the Savage Curtain? And I can't believe that Miri won, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> um, but it's a lot of fun. I'm doing the daily poll there as well. And you can find me on Trek FM with new episodes of Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of Star Trek. Uh, I co-host Warp 5 with my friend Floyd, and that's all about Star Trek Enterprise. And we're having a lot of fun interviews with some guest actors and writers and producers of the show. It's been great. We had Manny Cotto on. Um, you can find me over on the Fandom Podcast Network as well with uh, my friends Chris and Tom, and we're doing a show called Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. And episode four will be out on Sunday. And in that episode, we talk about some of the early works that Hitchcock did directing that are lost, but he was a co-director on. So uh, this is prior to his first big movie of The Pleasure Garden. So it's a lot of fun. Check it out. Awesome. I gotta. I do love some Alfred Hitchcock. I think my favorite is probably North by Northwest. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, great stuff. I uh, hope you will check that out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. Uh, I am also on Instagram at MRushing. I uh, host a podcast with my good friend, so I'm only just the co-host because I'm there with uh, Christopher Jones talking about D Space Nine. Uh, that is called The Orb, so make sure you check that out. We're so excited to finally be back. Uh, love getting the opportunity to talk about some DS9 with Chris. Uh, you can also find me here, of course, with the 602 Club and Star Wars The 602 Club Collection. I'm over on the Nerd Party Network, uh, and I'm talking Star Wars uh, with the aforementioned and... We always mention him because he's awesome. John Mills, uh, we're talking, like I said, Star Wars. Uh, we love doing the show, Aggressive Negotiations, for you. Um, in fact, if, if you want a real insight into John and I, we just released a series of episodes where we really dug in to our our personal fandom with Star Wars. And uh, we, we do. We get very personal with that. So I hope you will check that out. Um you can also find me doing Owl Post, a Harry Potter. You can also find me doing Owl Post, a Harry Potter podcast with Drea Kaufman. And we're walking through every single chapter of Harry Potter. It's a massive undertaking, but it's so much fun. We're already in the Chamber of Secrets, so make sure you check all of those out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts for your favorite podcast catcher. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now.